You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. It was a warm spring day when a well-dressed woman pushed through the revolving door of the Fort Garry Hotel and strolled across the marble floor. The click of her heels and the sound of her rolling suitcase echoed along the stone walls of the Grand Rotunda, drowning out the voices of other guests floating down from the mezzanine above. She was warmly greeted by the man at the front desk who recognized her small frame and confident demeanor from the last time she had stayed. She was quickly becoming a regular. Welcome, he said, smiling. I'm delighted you've chosen to stay with us again. He pulled her reservation from a Rolodex and studied it. I see you've requested the same room as last time. We actually have a different room available with a far better view, if you'd like it. No, thank you, she said. I prefer this room. Then, after a moment, she added, The spirits visit me here. The man at the front desk was startled by her words. Spirits, he asked. Yes, she said plainly. There's a lady in a white ball gown who hovers at the foot of my bed, and after that, she moves out the window. The man nodded, somewhat confused, then fetched her key and slid it across the desk. Here you are, madam. Have a pleasant stay. He watched her glide to the elevator, push the button, and step inside the smooth, golden doors. As the doors slid shut and she began her ascent, he couldn't help wondering what other spirits might be haunting the halls. You're listening to Fireside Canada, my podcast about Canadian legends, lies, and lore. I'm David Williams. The Fort Garry Hotel is, perhaps, the most striking landmark in Winnipeg. Not the most impressive, mind you. Structures like the Esplanade Riel, Canadian Museum for Human Rights, and Royal Canadian Mint are arguably far more innovative. I say striking because while many of the city's iconic buildings are bold, beautiful, and forward-thinking, the Fort Garry Hotel stands out amongst Broadway's layers of boring concrete office buildings as an achievement of a different time, using a foreign aesthetic from the distant past to articulate one powerful group's specific vision for the future of the country, back when Winnipeg was known as the Chicago of the North. Built in the revivalist chateau style of architecture popularized in the late 19th century, its design is a romantic callback to the buildings of the French Renaissance, a choice that seems wholly out of place in the Canadian prairies. Until you realize it is just one of the nation's many grand railway hotels, a series of local and national landmarks scattered along the celebrated transcontinental railway. They are so iconic, in fact, that their chateau style of architecture has become something of a Canadianism. These castles of the north were built to dominate the skylines of places like Quebec City, Lake Louise, Victoria, and Winnipeg, and designed to rival any hotel in Europe, inviting affluent tourists on an adventure across a newly connected country by train. The effect is a structure that is both disquieting and nostalgic, both foreign and familiar. On its own, the hotel feels completely detached from its environment, which is often atop a majestic hillside or along a shimmering lake or river, or nestled inside a national park. Yet, taken as part of a whole, the hotel can represent a certain time in Canadian history, 
even seem heavy with it, and with all the lives of all the people who once stayed within its walls. In short, it's the kind of place that, when you see it for the first time, can make you feel a bit uncomfortable, though you won't know why. You might think to yourself, that place must be haunted, and you'd be right. Tonight, we'll hear just a few of those ghost stories. Along the way, we'll look at how these tales are shaped and shared by the people who tell them, from the locals living nearby, to the columnists for national newspapers, to YouTubers recording their spooky stay at what is considered to be one of Canada's most haunted locations. We'll also learn how a classic folklore trope might have mingled with local legends and national headlines to create a ghost story that still resonates with listeners today and has inspired many to engage with, and contribute to, the folklore of a certain floor. This is the story of the haunting of the Fort Garry Hotel. Part 1. An Eerie Experience I've always loved hotels. Now to some, that might seem strange. But I like the odd uniformity. The rows of identical doors and identical hallways, the white noise of the air conditioner, the muffled voices of passing strangers, the sound of a heavy door clacking shut across the hall, even the hum and click of the lock when you scan your keycard at your room, all part of a surreal soundtrack to the distant lights and strange sights of a new city glimpsed from your window in the sky. Hotels are the ultimate liminal spaces. Serving as temporary living quarters for travelers, they exist as a crossroads, an intersection where people from every walk of life have converged throughout the years, within the margin between our home and our destination. The rooms, refreshed by housekeeping each morning and renewed every five years or so through renovations and updates, have their past constantly washed away, while the transient nature of their purpose denies them a future. People come and go, never leaving anything behind, or at least anything we can usually sense. They are appointed with the usual furnishings, a bed and an empty nightstand, a desk and chair, television and phone. These objects are both familiar and strange in this setting. Of home, but not in a home. In this way, hotels exist in a kind of perpetual present which can be even more disconcerting when the building itself has a history that can't be ignored. Perhaps that's why the older hotels are so often said to be haunted. Ghosts are liminal beings as well, existing on the frayed edges of reality. One might imagine that spirits caught between this world and the next would feel perfectly at home in the veritable purgatory of a Holiday Inn hotel room. And ghosts are often said to be tethered to a place by way of an emotional memory, either incredibly joyful or deeply tragic. It makes sense, then, that the older, grander hotels would have more ghosts than their fair share. Places like Le Chateau Frontenac in Quebec City, the Empress in Victoria, and the Fort Garry Hotel in Winnipeg are all railroad hotels from a bygone era, built to serve as landmarks and symbols of wealth, opulence, and a specific vision for the young country of Canada. Relics of a different time, they are steeped in history, having served as destinations in and of themselves, hosting countless parties, galas, weddings, and honeymoons. Inside these hotels, we stay in rooms with all the modern amenities. Bedside phone chargers, free Wi-Fi, lotions and shampoos from high-end stores. 
yet it's all housed in a place with an undeniable past. This striking contrast between the structure itself and the purpose of its rooms can create minor feelings of discomfort that can be, if you'll excuse the expression, haunting. And maybe that's why they tend to have the best and most chilling ghost stories. People gather at these hotels for interaction, vacation, and celebration. Happy moments. So it's unsettling when stories of loneliness and sadness haunt the shadows of a space built to host happier times. Our rooms in these hotels are supposed to be neutral and without history. So it's especially chilling when we hear that the specters of a distant past still linger. Such was the experience of the Honorable Brenda Chamberlain, a former member of Parliament who stayed at the Fort Garry Hotel back in the year 2000. One late summer evening, during the last gasps of August, politicians had gathered in Winnipeg for the Liberal Caucus, and Brenda, a member of Parliament, was coming to the end of a long, stressful day. She paused at her second-story window to watch a car roll slowly down the lonely street below, then drew the curtains closed, switched off the evening news, and climbed into bed. At 2.30 in the morning, Brenda woke suddenly from a deep and dreamless sleep. It's an experience we've all had while traveling. We wake up suddenly in an unfamiliar room, in a bed not our own, and it takes us the briefest of moments to remember where we are. Lying there, in the dark, staring at a strange wall, Brenda got her bearings rather quickly, but then sensed something more, something that hadn't been there before. There was a presence in the room, like someone was in bed right beside her. The feeling was faint, like something from a fading dream, but decidedly uncomfortable. So she left from the bed, went to the washroom, and then, once the sensation had subsided, slipped back beneath her covers and tried to fall asleep. She lay there for 45 minutes, tossing, turning, staring at the ceiling, and then the wall, closing her eyes and willing her body to just relax. But sleep wouldn't come. Then, at 3.15 a.m., at the time that folklore calls the witching hour, Brenda was on her side, her eyes shut tight, when something, or someone, shook the bed. The presence was back. It moved lightly but loudly, climbing in the bed to lie beside her and linger in the shadows at her back. She jumped out of bed, ran to the wall, and flicked on the light. No one was there. She scanned the room from the closet in one corner to the window at the other, even checked under the bed. There was no sign that anyone but her had been inside that room. After a few minutes, when her heart stopped beating quite so loud, she took a sleep aid, nervously got back into bed, and didn't wake again until sunrise. The next morning, Brenda told a fellow politician about her eerie early morning encounter, and learned through him and others throughout the day that her experience was not uncommon. The Fort Garry Hotel was known to be haunted. The people at the front desk told Brenda the story of Ida Albo, the owner and managing partner of the hotel, who had an experience eerily similar to hers. 
One night, back when Ida and her husband Rick lived at the hotel, they had a heated argument, and Ida went to bed alone. Later, Ida was sleeping face down when she woke to the sound of Rick entering the room. She didn't want to turn over to start the fight all over again, so she pretended she was still asleep. Then she felt Rick sit down on the bed right beside her. Sensing he wanted to talk, she turned over, but no one was there. Brenda was shocked when she heard the story. That was what happened to me, she later exclaimed to one reporter. She added, When I heard that, I thought it was a little too close for comfort and decided it was time to change rooms. That afternoon at the front desk, Brenda joked with the clerk, saying that she either needed a new room or a steep discount, considering she was sharing her room with an uninvited guest. She was skeptical of her experience, telling a reporter, quote, I'm not saying it was a ghost. I don't believe in such things. It's like aliens, and until someone can prove that they exist, I think it's better to just discount the whole thing, end quote. She obviously had a sense of humor and rationality about the experience, and yet she vowed never to return. The man working that day could see she was rattled, commenting later, quote, I've only seen one person as badly spooked as the MP when she asked to be moved, end quote. Brenda Chamberlain's eerie experience made headlines around the country in papers like the Sioux Star, the Winnipeg Sun, and the Globe and Mail. She was known as a seasoned, no-nonsense politician, a mother of three, and a self-proclaimed skeptic. She wasn't the kind of person to make up a story like that. So the story grew in popularity, and the hotel in infamy. Especially room 202, where Brenda had stayed before she felt compelled to switch rooms. More people started talking about the phantoms of Fort Garry. Reporters booked the same room at the hotel and eagerly bantered with bartenders, gift shop workers, and front desk attendants, hearing whispers about odd noises, floating balls of light, cutlery and cups shuffling around empty rooms, and shadows moving in the periphery of sight. They chatted with hotel management and eagerly perused the establishment's early website and photocopied leaflets titled Haunted Hotel that staff were instructed to pass along to anyone who asked. These investigations would produce even more stories, one about a frequent guest from Thunder Bay, Ontario, who I talked about in the opening of this episode. She was the person who always insisted on staying in the same room because, quote, the spirits visit me here, end quote. Those spirits included, apparently, a woman in a ball gown who would stand at the foot of her bed and then drift out the window. They also learned about a hotel employee who had his own spectral experience in the fall of 1989. It was almost four in the morning when the night worker finished washing dishes in the hotel's main kitchen and began to ascend the back stairway. He had almost reached the top when he heard a noise coming from the dining room. It was the sound of eating, dishes clattering, forks and knives scraping. He knew that was impossible. The dining room had been closed for hours. He cautiously pushed through the swinging door and saw a man sitting at a darkened table, cutlery in hand, enjoying a meal. The dishwasher stared at the figure for several moments, 
terrified and fascinated at the same time. But the man didn't look up. He didn't even seem to notice when the worker ran to the front desk and urged his fellow employee to follow him. By the time the men made it back to the dining room, the apparition was gone, the room silent. There were no plates, cups, or cutlery on the table. No crumbs, stains, or other signs that someone had been eating just moments ago. And the doors to the dining room were still locked from the inside. The early 2000s saw a boom in ghost stories about the Fort Garry Hotel. By 2004, the haunted hotel had been featured in the travel section of the National Post, then in a popular TV show, and in Scholastic Canada's beloved Haunted Canada series, which introduced a new generation of young horror enthusiasts to the world of Manitoban macabre. Ever since, these stories and others continue to be shared in books and online, so much so that the Fort Garry Hotel is now considered by many to be the most haunted hotel in Canada, and one of the most haunted places in the world. It's in the top 10 haunted places list on TripAdvisor, right up there with the Stanley Hotel in Colorado, made popular by the movie The Shining, the now-closed Queen Mary Ocean Liner in California, and the notorious Ballygally Castle in Northern Ireland. But while these stories surprised and captivated many Canadians throughout the country, the people of Winnipeg merely nodded and smiled. They knew these stories long before they made national headlines. In fact, back in the year 2000, when the Winnipeg Sun first covered Brenda Chamberlain's experience in the now-notorious Room 202, the paper invited its readers to call a feedback line and vote yes or no to the following statement. I believe that the Fort Garry Hotel is haunted. By the time voting closed at 6 p.m. that evening, they had 147 votes. The vast majority, 123, said yes. And that's usually how it goes. When you really want to get a full understanding of the legends of a place, it's best to go to the source, to read the books of local authors, and talk to the locals themselves. You're likely to get a glimpse at the current state of a local legend, and hear a few personal stories as well. So that's what I did. Andy Dulovich is a lifelong Winnipegger, born and raised in the neighborhood of Transcona and still raising his own family there today. He's also the creator and host of Grappling with Canada, an excellent and informative podcast on the history of Canadian wrestling. I asked him to share what he knew as a local about the infamous Fort Garry Hotel. This is what he had to say. The most common story is that room 202 is haunted by the spirit of a woman who committed suicide by hanging herself in the room's closet after learning of the death of her husband. As far as I'm aware, there is a waiver that must be signed in order to occupy the room. Now, I've heard from some friends who are in the paranormal studies field that there have been multiple examinations of the room, and on many occasions, much of the evidence, such as photos, recordings, etc., were destroyed or disrupted beyond use before they could be reviewed. So, my experience at the Fork Area Hotel would have happened in 2017, in May of that year. Uh, it was my parents' 40th wedding anniversary. We had all decided to go for supper 
at the Prairie 360 restaurant, which is on top of the Hotel Fort Gary. We all go, it's my wife, myself, my parents, and my two brothers. So we're all there, we're getting settled, we have appetizers going, uh, it was oysters, which were tremendous by the way, and our server was there at our table handing us our drinks. Now, we were about 15 feet from the bar. We can see that there's nobody behind the bar. When all of a sudden we hear a bunch of bang crashing, a bunch of commotion happening from the bar. We all look over, and there's cups everywhere, cutlery everywhere, and there's plates knocked over, just a mess. And we look at our server, and she just kind of gives us the eye roll. Now, whether this is an actual staffing rule or just something that's implied, but essentially everybody knows not to ask the staff about the instances that occur at the hotel because the staff are directed not to really uh, talk about it. So it happened. Uh, (laughs) She just gave us the beleaguered look like, oh, not this again. And uh, we ended up continuing on with our evening. But I have to say, I was so thrilled to at least have an experience at the Hotel Fort Gary. Thankfully, our experience, my experience was pretty lighthearted compared to many of the experiences that I've heard throughout the years, uh, including a couple that I've heard recently. But I was just happy that uh, I had something to experience at the incredible Hotel for Gary. Along with a great story of a personal experience, Andy has given us an excellent summary of the hotel's most notorious ghost story that of the haunting of Room 202. It's a fascinating tale, and its impacts, both real and legendary, are worth exploring. But before that, I'd like to take a quick look at the building and its history. Part 2. The Grand Dame of Winnipeg The Fort Gary Hotel was the third Grand Hotel to be built by the Grand Trunk Pacific Railway, part of an effort between them and their competitor, the Canadian Pacific, to build a series of upscale accommodations across the nation that would entice wealthy travelers to explore the country via its newly spiked railways. Groundbreaking occurred in late 1911, and in February 1912, the first of several accidents occurred when a worker was buried alive by heated excavation material. Two months later, tragedy struck again when the president of the Grand Trunk, Charles Melville Hayes, drowned aboard the Titanic. According to author, historian, and Winnipeg Ghost Walk tour guide Matthew Comus and his excellent book Haunted Winnipeg, Hayes and his family had traveled to England to meet with the board of the Grand Trunk and discuss the company's rising debt. Ottawa's newly built Chateau Laurier and Winnipeg's ambitious Fort Garry Hotel were almost certainly part of the discussion. After a series of minor delays, including a brief labor strike, the hotel finally opened on December 11th 1913. Constructed of Canadian granite and buff limestone at a cost of over $1.5 million, the Fort Gary Hotel bore a striking resemblance to its sister hotel, Ottawa's Chateau Laurier, and New York City's famous Plaza Hotel, boasting a similar facade, end pavilions, segmented windows, marble floors and stairways, and steeply sloped roofs. 
An extravagant ball was held the night before opening day, complete with full buffet, political glad-handing, and countless local ladies, dressed in their finest gowns, whirling across the newly built ballroom to the entrancing music of a live orchestra. It is from these early days when we get our first two most popular ghosts. One of the many spirits said to walk the halls is that of a maintenance worker who, legend has it, died instantly when an elevator malfunctioned, losing its counterbalance and plummeting to the ground. Intriguingly, this story does have some basis in fact. In his research, author Matthew Comus discovered a newspaper article that confirms an assistant bricklayer named John Layton fell down an open elevator shaft in the southeast corner of the property on July 29th 1912. Though he initially survived, he would ultimately succumb to his injuries three days later. As history turned to legend, his death in a hospital became an instantaneous death on sight, and an empty shaft became a malfunctioning elevator, an exciting change that speaks to our fear that we too might meet the same fate. Next, the elegant ball held the eve of the hotel's opening is said by some to be the source of our second wayward spirit, the mysterious lady in a white ball gown who visited a hotel regular in her room. Legend has it that, after hearing about the guest's routine paranormal encounters with a lady in a white ball gown, an employee began to research the history of the hotel. He came across an article from December 11, 1913, that laid out in somewhat excruciating detail, what a number of ladies had worn at the famous opening ball. Among those listed was Mrs. E. L. Drury, who wore a gown of pale blue satin draped with silver-gray beaded net, the bodice of white shadow lace. There was Mrs. Mathers, dressed in a flame-colored chiffon velour, the bodice of silver lace with diamante embroidery and finished with a butterfly bow of black tulle. And there was Lady Macmillan, looking elegant in her gown of white charmeuse with bodice of lace. Suspecting he may have found his legendary lady in white, the employee checked the hotel's archives and confirmed that the room where his guest insisted on staying had been host to Lady Macmillan back in 1913. Now, we know that Lady Macmillan didn't die in that room, and we can assume that nothing particularly traumatic happened that night. So, if we are to believe that the guest was indeed encountering the spirit of Lady Macmillan, we can assume that either it is a residual haunting, where echoes of the past can occasionally be witnessed by those in the present, or an intelligent haunting, where, after death, Lady Macmillan's spirit decided to visit a place of happy memories. But no happy memories can be found in this next ghost story, perhaps the most unsettling of them all. Part 3. The Bride of Room 202 The story goes like this. Sometime in the 1920s, no one is certain exactly when, a young newlywed couple who were very much in love checked in to the Fort Garry Hotel. The luxurious accommodations were the perfect choice for a romantic honeymoon, and the glamorous hotel was certain to provide an auspicious setting for their first happy days as husband and wife. One imagines that they dined in the hotel's elegant restaurant, strolled the streets of downtown Winnipeg, or caught a show at the local theater. 
The enjoyment of their first evening together was sadly delayed when the new bride experienced the sudden onset of a particularly painful headache. She lay down on the bed while the husband kissed her sweetly and left to purchase some medication from the nearest pharmacy. He would never return. Somewhere between the hotel and his destination, the husband was caught in a horrible accident and died at the scene. His young wife was left to wander the room, stare out the window, and sit on the corner of the bed, waiting for hours into the night for her husband to return. Finally, she was woken by a sharp knock on the door. She rushed over, flung it open, and came face to face with a policeman who delivered the devastating news. Crushed by her incredible loss, the young woman took her own life. The hotel has suggested in the past that her suicide happened, quote, some time later, end quote, presumably after she checked out. But the most popular version says that she was so overcome with grief that she hanged herself in the closet that very night. It's said that, ever since, her ghost haunts the room in which she died, the same room where Brenda Chamberlain had her eerie encounter over 70 years later, Room 202. They say that the presence that moved the bed that night was the ghost of the young bride, pacing the room and sitting on the bed, waiting for her husband to return. It's enough to make your hair stand on end, and it's little wonder that people still flock to the Fort Garry Hotel and book Room 202 well in advance in the hope of encountering the ghostly bride. But is the legend true? Well, I'm not here to debunk or cast doubt on any ghost story. I love them all. But if you're a regular listener, you know I like to look at these things from as many angles as possible. So here's what I've learned. First, as many researchers have pointed out, there is no evidence to support the story, and the details are sorely lacking. We don't know the month, season, or even the year that the story takes place, just the decade, though that is also in dispute. We've never been provided with a name, age, or any other identifiable details about the couple, at least from any reliable source. Many people, including myself, have poured through the newspapers of the era looking for any hint of the tragedy that befell the unfortunate couple, but nothing has ever been found. And while it's true that the newspapers may have declined to publish a story about a woman's suicide in one of the city's grandest hotels, they certainly would have printed any story about a tragic accident that took a young man's life. In fact, if I've learned anything from those papers, it's that vehicles and tramcars were striking people with an alarming frequency in the 1920s. And that brings us to our first set of conflicting details. Some stories say the husband was crossing the street on foot when he was struck and killed by a tramcar. Others point the finger at a horse and buggy, while others say it was an automobile that caused his death. Even then, sometimes he's crossing the street on foot when he's hit by the car, other times he's behind the wheel of his own. And then there's still another version of the story, mentioned in Pat Hancock's Haunted Canada series, that claims that the man wasn't killed by some random accident, but rather murdered by the woman's father and brothers who disapproved of their union. The grieving young woman then either took her own life or was murdered along with her lover. 
As you might imagine, this particular legend is often told alongside especially ghastly paranormal reports, like how a member of the housekeeping staff saw blood seeping from the walls of room 202, and how guests and staff alike have seen terrifying visions of phantom women crying in darkened corners of the lobby and second floor. Notice how this story has much more information, as conflicting as it is, compared to the others in the hotel. Ironically, this strange balance of information, not too much, not too little, makes the story even more suspicious. The main thing that sets it apart is how specific and dramatic it is. For example, the lady in a white ball gown could be anyone. There's no tragic story there necessarily. She could simply be an echo of the past. The same can be said for the Phantom Diner and Brenda and Ida's unexpected bedfellows. But the legend of the bride in room 202 has just enough detail to create a mysterious yet emotionally compelling story. A story that, for some, might seem familiar. Part 4 Suicide Brides and Ladies in White In Gatlinburg, Tennessee, the Greenbrier Restaurant, once known as the Greenbrier Lodge, is said to be haunted by the ghost of a young bride in a beautiful white gown who committed suicide sometime in the 1930s when she believed she was abandoned at the altar. The Hotel Galvez in Galveston, Texas, is supposedly haunted by another jilted bride. Set sometime in the 1950s, the story goes that a young woman was staying in room 501, waiting for her sailor fiancé to arrive by boat in time for their wedding day. It's said that she hanged herself when she heard that her fiancé's ship was lost at sea. An oddly similar story can be found in Canada, where a phantom bride is said to weep and wail in the shadows of room 473 in New Brunswick's Algonquin Resort, yet another hotel that was once owned by a Canadian railway. This story also tells us that her fiancé was caught in a ruthless storm and, fearing the worst, she either took her own life or died of a broken heart. There are plenty more. The Hasayampa Inn in Prescott, Arizona is said to be home to a ghost named Faith who haunts room 426. She supposedly hanged herself on her honeymoon in 1927, three days after her husband left for cigarettes and never returned. Yet another bride haunts the eighth floor of the Hotel Alex Johnson in Rapid City, South Dakota. And there's even a hotel in Austin, Texas, the Driscoll Hotel, that has no less than two suicide brides. And then there's one of Canada's most famous ghosts, let alone phantom brides, who is said to haunt Alberta's Banff Springs Hotel, a hotel, by the way, that was built by the Canadian Pacific Railway. According to that legend, sometime in the 1920s, a young woman was descending the hotel's marble staircase on her way to her wedding banquet when she either tripped on her veil or the veil caught fire and she tumbled down the steps to her doom. Now, some of these stories might be true. Most of them are probably just urban legends. But all of them fit the classic trope of the woman in white, a type of female ghost found throughout history and around the world, from Europe and Russia to Japan, the Philippines, and, of course, North America. For modern examples, you need look no further than the grudge horror movies, the supernatural TV series, and even the Witcher video games. The woman in white differs from culture to culture, 
but their stories share common themes of loss, untimely death, suicide, betrayal, and unrequited love. All of these stories of phantom brides found in hotels throughout the U.S. and Canada are, in my opinion, tapping into this near-universal concept, perhaps serving as a sort of memento mori within the hotel, that is, a reminder of our mortality, that tragedy and death can strike even on the happiest of days. So, to sum up, there is no evidence that a bride ever took her life in the Fort Garry Hotel or that a young husband was killed outside the hotel, leaving his young widow behind. The story also seems very similar to other ghost stories found throughout the hotels of North America. So if it's not based in history, where did the story come from? Well, in a blog entry about the famous ghost bride of the Banff Springs Hotel, the Royal Alberta Museum notes that as early as 1922, tour guides in the national parks were inventing ghost stories to amuse locals. They also note that the earliest mention of that phantom bride comes from the late 1980s. Considering these facts, they suggest that, perhaps, the story was created to attract more tourists to the hotel. And that might be the case with the Fort Garry Hotel as well. In my research, I couldn't find any reference to that particular ghost in any books or articles published before the early 2000s. The much-cited book Ghost Stories of Manitoba, written by Barbara Smith and published in 1998, includes a six-page section on the hotel. Inside, Smith talks of interviewing an assistant manager and learning about the spirit in a white ball gown, the ghostly diner, and the unseen presence that sat on the owner's bed. But the phantom bride is strangely missing. She is also missing in all those early newspaper articles, between 2000 and 2003, that talk of Brenda Chamberlain's eerie encounter in Room 202. In these pieces, she encounters a presence, nothing more. And I haven't found a word about the ghost or even the hotel in any of the five different books I have on hand written by John Robert Colombo, arguably the most prolific compiler of Canadian tales of the supernatural. Finally, in Barbara Smith's interview with the then-assistant manager of the Fort Garry Hotel, he mentions that guests could learn all about the hotel's ghosts on their website. So I checked it out, by way of the Internet Archive. An archived page from December of 1998, titled Haunted Hotel, and attributed to journalist Gordon Sinclair Jr., lists all of the ghosts mentioned above, except for the elusive bride. In fact, the earliest mention of this particular ghost story that I was able to find was in the previously mentioned Haunted Canada series, with the earliest copyright being 2003. So, what does this mean? Well, my research isn't exhaustive, of course, but it could suggest that the story of Fort Garry's Phantom Bride was yet another tall tale created to attract tourists to an old railroad hotel. Or perhaps the story was a local urban legend, not big enough to find its way into the mainstream until Mrs. Chamberlain's encounter made national headlines. Once the story blew up, a vague tale about a suicide bride might have become associated with the alleged paranormal activity that was encountered on the second floor. Or maybe the story is much older, maybe even true, and just overlooked all those years. I asked author Matthew Comis what he thinks, and he agrees. The ghost bride of Room 202 seems to be more legend than anything else. 
He points out that there are other places in the city, included in his Winnipeg Ghost Walk, that are better supported by historical documentation. He also notes that when he spoke with hotel staff about the hauntings, they told him a number of different incidents but made no mention of the bride. We can't say for sure whether the legend is true or not, but that's probably a good thing. Ghost stories are a lot like magic tricks. They can be a lot of fun until you know all the mechanics behind them. And to be honest, I'm less interested in the story and more in the act of storytelling. Part 5. A Living Legend Today, more people than ever come to the historic Fort Garry Hotel in the hope of experiencing something uncanny. A night in Room 202 is, of course, the most popular choice, but they say that anywhere on the second floor is fair game for a ghostly encounter. Many guests will also investigate the ballroom or the concert hall, both on the seventh floor, in the hopes of catching sight of a spectral dancer or the echoes of an orchestra from days gone by. The hotel staff are, reportedly, mixed on the topic. According to guest reviews, when asked about the hauntings, some will cheerfully regale you with the legends and even stories of their own personal experiences, while others will blandly shrug and wordlessly hand you a leaflet on the subject. And in case you were wondering, they don't make you sign a special waiver when you check in to room 202. In fact, if you make a reservation and just happen to be assigned that room when you check in, they simply pass you the key and wish you a pleasant stay. They don't mention the ghosts unless you mention them first. If the price of a plane ticket and a room at a luxury hotel and spa is a bit outside of your comfort zone, you can now watch others step inside the infamous room through the magic of the internet. Within the last few years, a handful of people have stayed in room 202 of the Fort Garry Hotel and shared their experiences on YouTube. Some of them have found nothing but a good night's sleep, while others have added to the legend and engaged in the fright, for better or worse. My favorite is a video that was posted rather recently, just three months prior to the time of this recording, in September of 2021. The 10-minute video, shakily shot with an iPhone and set to overbearingly spooky music, purports to document one guest's creepy experience in the most haunted hotel room in Canada. We're shown the hotel steps, lobby and elevators, and the room itself, decorated in an industrial black and white with old-timey chandeliers above and beside the bed, and an art piece that includes an unsettling old wedding photo hanging on the wall. Finally, after six long minutes, we get a glimpse of the paranormal. And what a glimpse it is. Text appears at the bottom of the screen, reading, quote, Floor lamp started to shake, so I decided to film it closely, end quote. As the camera slowly pans by one of the standing chandelier floor lamps, we see the conical light bulbs burning, the delicate glass decorations shaking gently back and forth, and something more a chintzy plastic toy skeleton, complete with tiny black velvet bow and mesh veil, saddled awkwardly atop one of the lamp's faux candles. A bass note thunders on a piano as the screen turns sepia and more text appears, explaining, quote, didn't see this bride skeleton, but showed up in the videos, end quote. Spooky. 
It's up to the audience to decide whether someone is not being completely honest about their experience, or if the ghost of Room 202 likes to manifest clearance items from the Spirit Halloween store. Now, I mentioned that one because I think it's funny, but there are others who seem much more forthright in their content. Regular people and paranormal investigators of varying experience have documented their time in the room and have shared their findings online which include cameras that are unable to focus, lights turning on and off, and strange sounds coming from the closet. And then there's this clip. Warning, it's a bit loud. Stop! Oh my... Stop it! Oh my god! Oh my god! I was just posting an Instagram story of this. They... What the f***? They just took this down and there's... Like, look at all these... laughing at you taking off the... Oh my god! These, look at how many notes there are! That is the sound of three very excited people discovering a number of hidden notes tucked behind a picture frame in room 202. The footage was shot by Michaela Bierman, a person who grew up in Winnipeg and, like others, chose to record her stay in the infamous room. She shares her own strange experiences of that night toward the end of the video, but this section in the middle intrigues me the most. Here, they've stumbled upon a secret cache of experiences, each recorded by different people, mostly on hotel stationery. The notes have been tightly folded and crammed into the frame of a painting and elsewhere in the room, waiting for a fellow searcher to discover. To me, these notes are a fascinating example of interactive, in-situ storytelling where people have gathered over the years to not just experience a story, but to contribute their own as well. Here are the contents of just a few of the notes they discovered. Saturday, March 14th, 2020. Arrived 4 p.m. Beck's mother, as she was leaving, saw a butler with a silver tray walking down the hallway, but when she turned the corner, following close behind him, there was no trace. Others have seen him as well full-body apparition in broad daylight. David Beck Sebastian. October 19th, 2017. Dale and Kathleen stayed here. We checked out early due to the bed-making noises when we left. Lights kept flickering and we felt hot and cold. 7.13 p.m. to 7.13 a.m. every day smelled of perfume also. I don't wear it. Plus, the door knocked two times, but no one was there. We checked out very fast. Never will be here again. January 1st, 2020. We experienced doorknobs turning and the closet light was turning on and off. There was a dark, heavy feeling from the room. Please read me. Do not get up at night. We took off, scared. Whether you're a believer or a skeptic, you can't deny that people are experiencing something in the Fort Garry Hotel. What that something is, is open to interpretation. And those interpretations can tell us a lot about who we are. The fact that people continue to read about and visit haunted places like this hotel tells us that they serve an important purpose beyond simple entertainment. The collective experiences gleaned from late-night conversations with staff, read about in newspapers, books, blogs, and online reviews, watched on screen, and even discovered behind paintings, tell us that these stories can help people cope collectively with bigger issues, 
like tragedy and mortality, history and memory, death and the unknown. The Fort Garry Hotel was built to be a luxurious palace, and indeed it has been host to royalty, movie stars, musicians and politicians throughout the decades. But in that time, it has also played a quieter, far more important role, hosting our collective phantoms and our stories. That's it for this episode. A big thank you to Andy Dulovich for his take on the haunting of the Fort Garry Hotel. Andy is the creator of the Canadian wrestling history podcast, Grappling with Canada. It's always so much fun to listen to someone talk passionately about a subject they love, and Andy does it well, so give it a listen if you're inclined. Thank you as well to author Matthew Comas for offering his insight for this episode. You can find his books, Haunted Winnipeg and Haunted Manitoba, wherever books are sold. And you can take part in his informative tours at winnipegghostwalk.com. The Fort Gary Hotel is just one stop on the tour. And thank you to Michaela Bierman for giving me permission to use some of the audio from her YouTube video. You can find a link to that video and her Instagram in my show notes. Finally, thank you so much for listening and for joining me in becoming part of a Canadian folk tradition. Now that you know the story, share it. And remember, next time you stay at a hotel, ask about the local ghosts. You never know what stories you might uncover. Fireside Canada is written and recorded by me, David Williams. Sound design and mixing is by Joseph Fish. Additional voice talent for this episode was provided by Robin Edgar and Sean Cole. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving this podcast a positive review. If you want to help even further, you can provide story ideas and more through my website. Every little bit helps to keep the fire burning and the library of legends growing. Learn more at firesidecanada.ca.